straight bout it I'm not pouting Break through walls and climb it mountains If you want it, scream it loud What's up superstars? Welcome to the Brain Tainment Podcast. Listen, if you're someone who wants to build more confidence within yourself, your ability to perform, to execute, to build skills, or to just feel better, or if you're someone who wants to architect a new empowering identity, this is the platform for you. Listen, we have all kinds of guests on this program from the psychology space, neuroscience, sports, as well as cultural icons and influences where we get to pick apart their story and learn a bit more about them. So be sure to subscribe. I hope you get value from this show. If you do, if you do enjoy it, please, please, please do me a favor. Put it on your socials, share it with friends and families who you think this message could help or they would enjoy. And be sure to share the love and tag me on those platforms. We'd love to get some feedback. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Brain Tamen podcast. Today, I'm really fortunate to be chatting with journalist and breathing expert, author of Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, James Nestor. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So... I guess where I want to start is just to set the scene and provide some context. Uh, breathing seems like a, a pretty obvious thing that we should all be doing uh, reasonably well. But as I started to go down the rabbit hole of your work and the idea of breath work, it's just super fascinating to see the impact it can have either positively or negatively, depending on how well we are in fact breathing. So I guess to start, could you give us an idea of how breathing is having potentially a negative impact on our life that we're not aware of? Well, everything in your body is affected by breathing, right? Down to the subatomic level of your cells. So if we're doing something incorrectly in a dysfunctional way, and if we're doing that 20,000 times a day, which is about how many times uh, we breathe, and some of us breathe 25,000 times a day, 30,000 a day, in any way, it's a lot. And if we're doing that improperly, it's going to catch up to us. So it's something a lot of people don't think about because we're able to get by breathing inadequately, just like we're able to get by eating crappy food. But that doesn't mean it's good for us. And we're seeing the results of that all over society now on both of those levels, on, on the food level and on the breathing level. Mm. Could we maybe just touch on what some of these symptoms might be? Or I guess how it would show up. I think everyone to some extent can probably understand or recognize a time when they've, you know, they've taken a moment to slow their breathing or, or focus on the breathing, at least optimize it in some way, and they've felt better. Um, but what are some of the uh, what are some of the ways it may show up? I've heard you talk about some of the links and the new emerging science coming out to things like sleep apnea, uh, anxiety, things of that nature. Could you maybe just touch on that? Well, chronic sinusitis, what, 15% of the population has that? How many people have allergies? How many people have asthma? About 10% of the population in the US. How many pe people have COPD? About 7%. How many people snore? About 50, 25% have sleep apnea. I mean, I can go down this list and keep <laughs> going. It's uh, the majority of us have some sort of chronic respiratory ailment. And these problems are so widespread that we think they're just normal. But there's nothing normal about 10% of a population having asthma or 50% snoring on occasion. Like there's nothing normal about this. Mm. So once you start pulling back those layers, you realize what's happened to our species in just the past few hundred years and how bad things have gotten. 
I heard you talk about how uh, where whether this is the same that's happened throughout evolution, how we are now anatomically not necessarily equipped to breathe effectively. What exactly did you mean by that? Yeah, this is something I heard about years and years ago, and it seemed just crazy, like some sort of phrenology stuff from way back when. Until I looked at ancient skulls, I spent weeks and weeks working with biological anthropologists and other researchers who study ancient human skulls. And they all have straight teeth. They all have these pronathic faces. They have these huge nasal apertures, these very wide jaws, right? Uh, one of the lead curators of this museum that has the largest collection of ancient skulls in, in the world, or one of the largest collections, she said she had never seen a hunter gather with crooked teeth, not one of them. She's seen thousands of skulls. And you look at us today, about 90% of us have some sort of deformation in our mouths, right? Uh, we have crooked teeth. It's just completely common. So that is caused by a mouth that has grown too small for its face. And if you have a mouth that's too small, teeth have nowhere to, to grow in straight, so they grow in crooked. That also means you have a smaller airway, and it can make you much more apt to suffer from nasal issues, snoring, sleep apnea, and all the rest. Yeah, wow. So then what exactly for someone listening that is I, potentially nodding the head going, yep, this, this makes a lot of sense. And I know when I breathe well, it, it has an impact. And like we've touched on some of the emerging science is really fascinating. Where might be a good place to start to, I guess, potentially start auditing, you know, what we're doing well, and what, what, we're not, what we're not doing well. Is there a sort of a best practice to start with to um, consider, you know, uh, how well we are breathing? Breathe through your nose. I mean, that's that's really the first thing. I am more convinced now than I ever was, and I agree with so many researchers who had told me this early on, that you can never really ever be healthy if you're a mouth breather, period. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you're eating, doesn't matter how much you're exercising. And we see this with these people who can run a marathon and who are so meticulous about every single calorie they're eating and where that calorie is coming from organic avocados you know no dairy but if you're a mouth breather you're never your body's never going to quite going to be working right um because we get most of our energy from air and when we're breathing through the mouth we are exposing ourselves to unfiltered air which if you live in a city or even if you live in the country that means pollution allergens uh, bacteria, viruses, all the rest. So it has to start with breathing through the nose. That needs to be a habit. That doesn't mean you can't occasionally breathe through your mouth. I'm breathing through my mouth a little bit right now as I'm talking to you. I breathe through my mouth when I laugh, when I sigh. It's totally fine, totally normal. But your day-to-day -day breathing and night-to-night -night breathing needs to be through the nose. And should we be breathing more or less than... We might currently be, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard you touch on how it might be beneficial to focus on breathing less. Is that accurate? Well, yeah, well, so many of us are, are solely concerned with oxygen levels. And oxygen, of course, is so important. But what we're not considering is carbon dioxide, because we view this as a toxic waste gas of respiration, of metabolism. But it's really not in the human body. You have to have a balance of CO2 and oxygen to feed your cells. And if you have 
any less of either of those things, your body's really going to struggle. So when we overbreathe, it's very easy to overbreathe through our mouths or you overbreathe when you're exercising, you aren't getting any more oxygen. You're making it harder for your body to get oxygen. And I can prove this to you right now. If you take like 30, 40 big breaths, you're going to feel some numbness in your fingers. Your head's going to feel light. You're going to feel a little dizzy. That's not from an increase of oxygen, but a decrease of circulation because CO2 plays a essential role in vasodilation. So it's mm. breathing less can actually help you get more oxygen more easily. Wow. Makes sense. And just a quick little caveat, just on vasodilation. I think I've heard you talk about um, the, the tissue within the lining of the nose being similar to the erectile tissue. Could you maybe just expand on that? I, didn't, I wasn't sure exactly what you were referring to there. That was, that was a little interesting caveat, I thought. Same, same stuff. It responds right. in the same way. <laughs> So this connection, uh, everybody has it. There is no other structure more closely aligned with our genitalia than our noses. And some people have too close of a connection so that when they get stimulated in one area, their noses will also engorge with blood and they will start <laughs> sneezing uncontrollably. Yeah. It's called honeymoon rhinitis. Luckily, most of us don't have that problem. But this is something that scientists have known for more than 100 years. They've been studying the link between our noses and our genitals. Yeah. There you go. So uh, just going back to the different types of breathwork, I suppose. Um, so we know we should breathe in through our nose. Um, that's a good place to start. Are there, very, are there differences to which nostril? Uh, I've heard you talk about breathing in through one, out through another, and the different impact potentially on our physiology that that might have. Are there variables or differences between our nostrils in terms of the effect the breathing will have? So for anyone who's been in a yoga class, there's a good chance either before the yoga class has begun or after it's finished, the instructor will have you do some alternate nostril breathing, right? A lot of us may think, well, this is just some new age garbage. What is this actually doing for me? It's been around for more than a thousand years. There's a whole study of yoga called Nadi Shadhana, which is alternate nostril breathing. But it turns out for the past 20 years, there have been numerous studies looking at how inhaling through the right or left nostril will affect our brains, will affect our circulation, will affect our heart rates and more. And this stuff is correct because it's measurable now. It's not like breathe this way and how do you feel? Oh, I feel pretty good. Okay, mm. that means something. No, we have instruments. Um, and that's what's great about breathing as well is it's so easy to measure. So mm. if you don't believe this stuff, you can measure it yourself with wearables you have in your house. So the right nostril, inhaling through the right nostril is associated with a stimulating response. It's supposed to heat your body up. Your heart rate will go up. Blood pressure will go up. You will activate the logical side of your brain, which is mostly associated with the left side of the brain, even though there is a lot of cross current between both of those hemispheres. So the left nostril, inhaling and exhaling, parasympathetic response, it relaxes you, stimulates the creative side of mm. your brain. So uh, I would recommend anyone check out the scientific literature on this. I did not believe this 
until I talked to various experts in the field and there it is. It's been measured numerous times. Mm. Yeah, just on the literature and look, a lot of the stuff, I lo- a lot of what I love about your work, James, is um, I've, I've heard you reference how you're interested in what works. And I know you've got a journalistic background um, and admittedly, you know, I, I'm, I'll be the first to just riff on all kinds of interesting ideas. A lot of the, a lot of the content on this platform, we, we talk about all kinds of stuff and in what I'll shorthand to the, the broader uh, self-improvement space, right? But ultimately, the, more, the most powerful stuff is what is going to fucking work, part of my language. And so that's what I really like about your background. And I know in the last, admittedly for the last, so up until about 12 months ago, I personally, I know the pe- a lot of the people I speak to weren't overly exposed to the world of breath work and, and you know, what's working, what's not. Uh, so for you, I know you've spent a lot of time um, in this space. And I guess with that journalistic background, how did you ultimately end up going down this rabbit hole? Um, was there something in particular that just piqued your fascination at first? Like, how did you, how did you ultimately end up going so far into looking at the science uh, and I guess the, the pros and cons of breathing. Yeah, well, so much of breath work for so long has been wrapped in tie dye and, you know, covered in crystals. And it's been very off-putting to people who want to know more of the science behind it. And I'm not, if someone really gets off on that, on that side of breath work, that's awesome, mm. right? They're, they're benefiting themselves. And who am I to say anything about that? But as a science journalist, I have to look in to the data and see what works, not just for one person, how they're feeling, but what works for the rest of us, how our bodies all work in the same way and respond to the same things. So that's what I did for, for five years. Uh, you know, This is what I worked on full time over and over, wrote about 20 different drafts of this book because I could not get my head around it. But the thing that made me realize that there was a much deeper story than just the inhale through your nose, like breathe softly, that's easy, right? The how-to of breathing is very easy. I could you know, put it all on a single page, but it's why this stuff works in our bodies, what, what it does exactly, where it comes from and, and where, where it can take us, you know, the next level of human potential. So years and years ago, I was sent on, a, on an assignment to write about freedivers and I'd never seen anyone free dive before. And I watched people over and over again do what was supposed to have been scientifically, medically impossible. You're not supposed to be able to hold your breath for eight, nine minutes and still be alive. You're not supposed to be able to dive down to 100, 120, 130 meters on a single breath of air. And yet these people are doing it all the time. And I thought, what is going on here? You know, I reported this back to my editor and called my mom and both of them said, no, there's an oxygen <laughs> tank down there. This is not what's happening. And it's Smart interesting, if there was an oxygen tank down there, all these divers would have been dead, right. right? That's not how it works. So I thought, what else have we forgotten? There's there's archaeological evidence of people free diving for the past 10,000 years. Like, what else is out there? And that's what really put my butt in gear to go out and try to find the, the real science of this stuff. And, mm. and again, as I, as I said, it's not easy because it's all buried in these different silos and these different medical disciplines do not talk to one another. So you have to learn all of them and talk to everyone to get the straight story. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Have you found that your approach, if I'm just chatting with you now and diving into your work, is very relatable approach and taking 
uh, I guess, an area with so much intricate science, I'm sure, but making it very digestible and applicable for the, for the masses, I suppose. Have you found that's been really beneficial based on the feedback you've got from, from people? Well, I'm starting in the same position as the reader. And so that's my take into this stuff. I love reading books by experts in the field. It's great because they have so much knowledge, but it is in some ways more relatable when you take someone by the hand and say, I don't know anything about the subject I'm going into, okay? Just to be clear with you, but as I learn, I'm gonna tell you what I learn and what I think is interesting and important, right? The job of a journalist first and foremost is a filter. It's a filter for BS and it's also a filter for what is the what are the takeaways that can really benefit people. So I had never written extensively about medicine before in my life. And trust me, this is a steep learning curve. Uh, it almost killed me to learn about biochemistry and the electron transport chain and ATP and all this crap. I never thought I would need to learn. But you learn it because you, you wake up every day and get a little more curious about the subject because you find like doors keep opening into these weirder areas that shouldn't make any sense, right? Mm. And then you realize they do make sense and the science is there. And that's what thrills me, you know, to be able to, to wake up and be curious every day and to try to really go into places that I've felt other people haven't really touched upon or explored as thoroughly as, as they should have. Yeah, for sure. Just to go back to the free divers, that is just, it's, I know, well, I'm pretty confident I wouldn't be able to hold my breath if I were to test myself right now for eight minutes or so. I think most people listening probably wouldn't reach that milestone at this moment in time either. Uh, however, is there um, is there a universal, I guess, average? It, is there a way that we can measure our current performance to know um, if if uh, if we're breathing well, or, or is there something we should be working towards? Like I said, eight minutes is probably a stretch for most people, but um, is there a way we can uh, effectively, I guess, work out how good we are? That is not the goal, everybody, of breathing to hold your breath for eight minutes. And, mm. and it shouldn't be unless someone really wants to dedicate their life doing that. No, this stuff okay. is super easy. So it's I'm not wildly unhealthy because I can't do that. I'm just just making sure. No, don't okay, feel good. bad. You can't <laughs> hold your breath for eight minutes. Uh, we still love you. Good to so know. So one of the quickest assessments that you can do is calmly exhale, not a <sighs> like that. Take a breath in through your nose and exhale. You can exhale through your mouth. Hold your breath. Just hold it. And when you feel the first palpable need to breathe, you record how many seconds have passed. And there's been a few studies that have found that anyone that can hold their breath for about 25 seconds very comfortably on that exhale, there's an 89% chance they won't have a breathing dysfunction, okay? There's an 89, I'm not talking about obstruction, like, like airway obstruction, obstruction of the sinuses. I'm talking about biochemically that they will be in what is considered healthy, right? They will be able to tolerate healthy levels of CO2 in the body because that need to breathe, if you exhale, hold your breath, is not dictated by oxygen. That is dictated by carbon dioxide. So um, having a higher tolerance for CO2 can have a lot of benefits for athletic performance. And we've seen this time and time again with people with panic and asthma as their tolerance for CO2 goes up into that healthy zone, 
they oftentimes have significantly fewer attacks and need to use medication less and less. And there are so many studies that have shown exactly that. Mm. Yeah, it's super fascinating. And I think before I jumped on with you and as I was going down the rabbit hole of your work, I was thinking to myself, what what problem would this solve for me and, and for the listeners and, and what have you? And um, you might have something else to add to this, but for, for mine, I was sort of looking at it from two angles, I suppose. One was that idea of, of, of calming um, anxiety and, and alleviating panic attacks like we touched on there. There's a lot of people, particularly in, I'm not sure what the stats are in the States. I think they're pretty similar to Australia, but there's a lot of, um, I mean, particularly during a COVID COVID time, there's a lot of heightened anxiety and things of that nature. Um, so I was thinking, uh, I was looking for ways to be able to quell that. And it was interesting um, hearing, was it the left nostril is a way to slip back into that parasympathetic nervous system? Even easier than that. Mm. Just inhale to the count of about four and exhale to a count of about six. If it's comfortable for you, exhale to a count of about eight. So if you breathe this way right now, you're going to notice when you inhale, your heart rate is going to go up. When you exhale, very slowly, very lightly, it should be imperceptible. This is not... As Westerners, we tend to push crap way too much. So inhalation is a stimulating response to the body, right? Exhalation is a relaxation response. And you can feel that for yourself Mm. as your heart rate goes down. So if any time you're sensing yourself getting stressed out, extend your exhales. Take these rhythmic breaths, easy breaths in, longer breaths out, and you'll notice that your body will become more relaxed. This is not a placebo effect. This Mm. is basic physiology. This is how the stuff works inside of us. Yeah, it's super powerful. Even just going through that that experience with you just then, in that short period of time, I could already feel the... Feel the benefits there. So that's that's one side of the coin, I suppose. And then we touched on if you're breathing quickly, that might um, have more of a, I guess, excitatory effect. Is there a way to leverage that to boost performance? So I'm thinking of times where I could use what we've just explained there to calm myself, maybe get more creative, certainly sort of quell that that heightened sense of or feeling stuck in the sympathetic nervous system. Is there an opportunity to leverage how we breathe before a, you know, a race or a sports performance or, or something to that nature? It depends what you're participating in. There's slightly different techniques for each different discipline of sport. But one good thing to do is to get your breathing queued up before you uh, jump into a sport. So, you know, some people call it warm up because the, the thing is, if you've ever done like a CrossFit class or I used to box and, and do martial arts, the first five minutes of the class was terrible. You're just like, how am I ever going to keep up with this? Because your respiratory system hasn't caught up to your metabolic needs, right? right. You start burning anaerobically. Um, so you can last anaerobically for, for a little while, but then it runs out and you need oxygen. So what has been found to be really beneficial for a lot of athletes is they will breathe at the rate they would be breathing in that exercise, Mm -hmm. but they would do it a few minutes before just to catch the respiratory system up to get that circulation going. Um, Over breathing 
when it's a habit is very bad, it elicits that stress response and your brain recognizes that there's a threat. And so you create this very negative feedback loop between your brain and your body. Your body is constantly telling your brain that you're stressed <sighs> because the brain is picking up messages from the body. And then your brain is sending those same messages back. It's a disaster, right? Mm. So you want to get in control of that as soon as possible. Your breathing is the first thing you should consider before popping an aspirin or popping of other pills. Like when you feel an attack or stress coming on, get your breathing in control. And a lot of people have found that's all they need to really blunt that attack and, and to move forward in life. But mm. I will mention there's two sides of this coin. When you consciously overbreathe, you can call it Wim Hof method, you can call it Tumo, Sudarshan Kriya, Pranayama, whatever. It's all doing the same thing. It is allowing you to consciously put yourself into a state of stress and then remove yourself from that stress. <laughs> if you've ever done Wim Hof breath, that's, mm -hmm. that's what it is. But then you control yourself, get rid of that stress. So this is like a pressure release valve that allows mm -hmm. you to release this stress so that for the other 23 and you know 40 minutes 23 hours and 40 minutes of the day you're completely chill and calm and where you need to be yeah super fascinating just going back to that idea of like pre-sports it's just a little quick story i was back at uh football australian rules football here uh just the local football side a couple of nights ago anyway so I'd been training and I'm also training for a half Ironman. So just aerobically building that capacity. But then I think most people who have played competitive sports will know there's a big difference between sort of, I guess, training and, and getting quote unquote fit and what we would call here match, uh, match fitness, right? So it's this, I guess that old adage of that first five minute blowout when the football game starts and funnily enough, just reflecting back a couple of nights ago, all the all the guys were laughing because we're looking at each other, going, "Holy fuck, this is we're so unfit. We can't move. Like we're just we've got nothing in the tank." And in large part, it was just based on what you were saying. We've kind of gone from very stagnant and stationary in the club rooms to the first bounce, and then the game starting, and then it's very sporadic. I guess I've sort of known that intuitively my entire life. And I think most people have who play that similar competitive sport. It's really interesting to then look at, okay, maybe that's an opportunity to alleviate that or at least understand what's going on there is that I, it sounds like what I'm hearing is that that difference in ref, respiratory rate is almost like a, a shock to the system. And if we're able to get that in some sort of resonance to what it'll be in the start of the game, potentially that might not be as, I guess it's dramatic or, or noticeable, you know, <laughs> after that first hit out. So here's what I want you to do. And if you can convince a few of your mates to do this as well, I would love to hear about it. About five to seven minutes before the game starts, lay down and take 30 huge breaths. And then on the exhale, hold your breath as long as you can and do that same pattern again. Okay. Do that for about three rounds. If you can do it for four rounds, do it for four rounds as well. doesn't really matter. And then go out and play. And this is something professional surfers use all the time. Uh, Djokovic, a number one tennis player in the world, uses this all of the time. And mm. it's something that is really sweeping into elite sports is to 
get the respiratory system, wake it up, get the circulation going. So it's not such a shock to the system when you start running around and really performing. Wow. Well, that's, that's good to know. And Joke has just won the Australian Open here uh, just last go. week. So he's, he's also doing something right. A uh, couple more for you, James, that uh, I'll throw at you then um, we'll wrap things up. But just in regards to the immune system, are there benefits or correlations to uh, our breathing on our immune system? And obviously this is particularly relevant during a time where um, it's, it's forefront of everyone's minds for the most part. Is there any science around... Um, our breathing capability and, and how well and effectively we're breathing and I guess how effectively our immune system's working. So our first line of defense against bacteria, pathogens, smog, whatever, it's right here. It's our noses. And it's shocking to me to see so many people walking around with open mouths, just mouth breathing. It's also shocking to learn how many people breathe through their mouth when they have a mask on. So masks are much better at protecting you from other people, not other people from you. So you need to be breathing through your nose, even when you're wearing a mask. So it turns out that we produce this amazing molecule called nitric oxide in our noses, six times more nitric oxide in our noses than if we were breathing air through our mouths. It so happens to be as well that nitric oxide is the molecule that is released when um, Viagra is taken. So um, when erectile dysfunction drugs, guess how they work? By releasing nitric oxide. There's another thing I'm gonna tell you about nitric oxide is nitric oxide interacts directly with viruses to kill them, which is why there are 11 clinical trials right now looking at giving nitric oxide to patients with COVID. And wow. Word on the street is it works incredibly well because it worked incredibly well with SARS 17 years ago. We've wow. known this stuff for a long time. We just seem to like forget about it, move on and rediscover it. And so what I'm quoting you here um, is from Dr. Louis Ignaro, who won the Nobel Prize in, in the 90s for his work with nitric oxide. I, wow. I'm not the researcher. I'm the journalist. And I'm filtering this from a guy who won the Nobel Prize. So this mm. is all very legit stuff. That's huge. I wonder if a number of guys will fake some COVID symptoms to get their hands on some nitric oxide. Uh. You can wrong. <laughs> you know, you know, if, if, if that's what you need to, to get you going, then I think there's other issues going on, but you can make your own with your nose. And here's another little tip. Humming will increase that 15 fold. Wow. So humming. Mm, well, drastically increase nitric oxide in your nasal cavities and can have so many benefits beyond just that one you mentioned. Mm. Super interesting. Um, I mentioned at the top, James, your book and some of the feedbacks has been bloody awesome. It's a fantastic read for the people that are tuning in and maybe either potentially for the first time, just getting exposed to this conversation of, of breathing um, or maybe they've, they've been on that journey and they've just, um, learn a couple of new things here and they want to dive into it even further. What can people expect from that book and how can they get it? Well, what they, I don't know what they're going to expect of it. Um, what will they get out of it? I, I guess everyone's different. Uh, hopefully they will find it to be uh, entertaining uh, perhaps and, and to have some information that could help them and, and those around them. Uh, 
everything, uh, the entire bibliography, which is something more than 400 scientific references are available for free on my website, mrjamesnester.com. That's mrjamesnester.com. There are also breathing practices from various uh, renowned breathing therapists and scientists from Johns Hopkins University and Andrew Weil, and also interviews with experts in the field all on the website. Uh, the book has a lot of different stories. Uh, some of it is a, is a journey into this, like how have humans forgot something so basic and, and how that's affected us and how we can get it back. That's, that's the real the, the real angle I wanted to take is not to, just to hem and haw about all the negative sides of this, but like, okay, that's the problem. How are we going to fix it? That's what I spent the majority of my time doing. That's so fantastic. I'll link the show notes below um, to all those things you mentioned. And for anyone, anyone tuning in um, that experiments with the number of different practices we've touched on in this conversation, hit me up. I'd love to know, reach out to James um and listen man I, I really appreciate you carving out the time you're someone i was really looking forward to it's a it's something i've just started dipping my toe in if you will in terms of this the science of breathing and and recognizing in, in so many ways and i won't digress too much how there's an opportunity for me to improve you know and how a lot of um my getting stuck in the sympathetic nervous system is in large part due to my poor breathing and and so whilst I'm just scratching the surface, I'm already seeing massive benefits. And I think like I touched on already, your approach to make things really relatable, to make it entertaining um, and to make it just a fun process to, to optimize how we feel. is just really fucking cool. So um, once again, appreciate you coming on the show and I'm sure people um, will dive further into your journey now too. Thanks a lot for having me. This stuff doesn't need to be complicated to work. Everybody nature is simple yet subtle. So have fun with it. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate the support you guys are showing to this platform. If you got some value from this episode, if you enjoyed it, please do share it on your socials with friends and family. Really helps grow the channel uh, and the mission and everything we're trying to do here with Braintainment. So spread the love. I would be forever grateful. And of course, if you got some real insights from this episode, hit me up, find me on social, shoot me a message. I'd love to engage and have a chat with you guys. So that's it for now. Until the next episode, thanks again.